The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. How are we doing? Good. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for calling us. Yeah, calling us into the presence of the Lord. The Lord is in this place. He is moving and he is with us. He is not far. Whether you feel it or you don't, his presence is here. His spirit is speaking to us as we worship, as we pray. God is glorified. And as we worship in the word, we are equipped, we are encouraged, we are built up in the Spirit, and God is glorified. And We're in Revelation chapter 10 this morning, and I would encourage you to open your Bible if you have it. Uh, this is a hard, if you're new to Revelation, you come at right in the middle of all the judgment and doom and gloom. But actually, 10 is a pause. 10 and the next few chapters is kind of this interlude, and we have a pause. So you don't get much doom and gloom today. You just get this awesome picture of a giant angel coming down and standing on the earth and what John has to do with that. But if you are new to Revelation, this is kind of a hard place to come in. We are looking at Revelation, just so you know, from a a future perspective. We believe that this is to come that God is working out his will, and and that this is prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. So that is how I am going through this uh, book of the Bible. Now, there are different perspectives on Revelation, and that's why the church gets so confused. And so sometimes you hear one person speak from one perspective, and one person preach and speak from another, and then you're like, how does that all work? So we're looking at it from a premillennial, that means before the millennium reign of Jesus' return, premillennial Uh, pre-tribulational, so we believe that a tribulation, a seven-year tribulation is yet to come, uh, return of Christ, and so we look at this as a historic, in-the-future event to take place, and a lot of this is hard to understand. Uh, Some of it is metaphorical, there's a lot of imagery, and so as we get into this, I'm trying to explain it the best I can, but we are looking from that perspective. So if you have questions on Revelation, uh, ask Diane Kearns, because she's the expert, not me. And uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I'd be glad to take your, take your questions uh, as we go through this, because it tells us in the beginning of this chapter, of this book, that there is a blessing for those who read it. There's a blessing for those who go through this. And so we want to receive that full blessing by reading and going through uh, this book of Revelation. Um, And so if you don't know where it is in your Bible, it's the last book of the Bible. So just open from the back. You're in Revelation. Or you might be in a concordance or a dictionary. But start in the back, flip to, you get to chapter 10. So chapter 10, if you will just follow along with me, I'm going to read it and then I'll Pray shortly, and and then we'll get into unpacking this chapter. Revelation chapter 10, starting in the first verse, it says this. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, 
the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Will you pray with me? Father, as we get into this chapter, as we look at this next section here in your word, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Holy Spirit, come and just illuminate the scripture. Give us insight. Give us understanding. And where the mysteries are, give us peace that we can just be assured that you are good and you are working out your perfect plan and that we don't have to know all things, that you are to be trusted with all things because you are God. So help us as we look through these mysteries, as we look at this chapter, just to be encouraged, to be built up, what, what we should do in light of this. Show us what you would have us do and what our relationship with you should look like because of this word today. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 10, he alludes to the seventh trumpet here. He says there's one more angel who's going to blow a trumpet. So backing up a little bit, there was a scroll in heaven, and the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ, took the scroll. It was sealed with seven seals, and he started breaking the seals open one by one. And as he did that, we saw judgments coming on the earth. And then some judgments were against mankind and sin and rebellion. And so as he broke open the seals, we saw those judgments happening. But then he got to the last seal, and the last seal began a series of seven trumpets. So the last seal brought forth angels who each were given trumpets, and the angels then start at the right time blowing a trumpet. And so one by one, they are bringing judgments. And so we get through six of the trumpet judgments, and those are are pretty hard and harsh, and they're not the worst. The worst are still yet to come. And we've looked at at these judgments. In the midst of all these judgments, God's grace and mercy has been with mankind because uh, he has given a multitude preaching the gospel. 144,000 Jews are sealed, and they are calling Jesus Messiah, and they start preaching the gospel, and a multitude are coming in, and Jews are coming and receiving Jesus as Messiah, and people all over the earth are receiving the gospel, but many are still rejecting it. So we're at this place. There's an interlude. There's a pause. So John sees the sixth trumpet, and we we went through that last week, so you can go online, you can find all that, and you can see what we were teaching about that. And then he says, now I look, and this is the scene. So this is a, a big uh, pause in between here, but just because it's a big pause in chapters, we don't really know how long the pause of time is, if that makes sense. So we have this interlude, and we're waiting for the next trumpet to come, and, and so this is how this vision starts with this angel coming down. So chapter 10 through chapter 12 is, is that interlude that I'm talking about. And as we looked at these uh, judgments. Here's, here's the sobering thought. That's, that's God's wrath poured out on sin and rebellion. And we talked about last week how the wrath of God, how it's broken up and he's calling people to himself, like the, the seriousness of sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, the song we sang, when he went to the cross, he took my place. Like at one moment, the full wrath of God poured out for sin. Like here we're seeing it in stages. There's, there's a moment to catch your breath, so to speak, and then the next one, and then the next wave. Jesus, in one moment, takes the full wrath of God and absorbs it all, drinks the cup for us who would come by faith and repent and say, save me, a sinner, 
And he washes us with his blood, and he makes us new, and he gives us new life, forgiveness. Jesus takes the full wrath of God. So we're seeing it spread out over time. But what Jesus did at the cross is truly, truly amazing in in that sense of amazement because only he can do this. Only he could take the full wrath at one moment and drink the cup completely and bring salvation. So he's calling people to himself. There's grace here. He's saying, come, repent, come, repent. But mankind does not. He is, he is hard. And so the sobering thought is through these judgments, at this point, we have lost, if, if the judgments were happening today, there's roughly 8 billion people on the earth, we would have lost 4 billion people through those judgments. Half of the earth would have already perished. Half of the earth. I mean, just think if, just think if we went into this uh, tomorrow and half of the people you know were just gone and you didn't have a chance to tell them about this, about this grace, about this mercy. They had perished, they, whatever reason. Half of your friends, neighbors, colleagues, they're gone. It's sobering to think. I mean, it's one thing to think, oh, 8 billion, 4 billion, that's a huge number. Think, bring it down to your, to your neighborhood. Half your neighborhood, gone. Souls perished without Christ. So we see that God is bringing judgment, but he's wanting man to repent. He's trying to get their attention. That was one of the reasons for the revelation and for this tribulation, but he's also bringing in Israel, the fullness of Israel, as he said he would. So we have this moment. So at the end of chapter 9, we read in verse 9, 20 and 21, it said this, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, the other four billion, did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver. So the, the heart of man is hard going on. They know God is doing this and they're shaking their fists. So then we get here and we see this angel come down. So John says here in verse 1, he says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. Who does that remind you of? Anybody in particular? You, nobody doesn't remind you that description. It's like, nope, I don't know anybody like that. Like, this is very reminiscent of Jesus. Like, it reflects God. This angel comes down, and he's got these characteristics. Now, I'm going to tell you in a moment why I don't think this is Jesus, mainly because he says it's another mighty angel, and I'll talk about that. But here you see that this angel has this appearance that is surprisingly Christ-like. He's clothed in a cloud. Revelation 1-7 talks about this. Uh, it says, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, talking about Jesus. It says he has a rainbow on his head, which is reminiscent of Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, where we see this. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow. So this is at the throne of God, and there's a rainbow around the throne that had the appearance of emerald. And so that rainbow appearing, the, the promises of God, he has a face like the sun. It's reminiscent of Revelation 1, verse 16. It says, In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. This is talking about Jesus. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It says that this angel has legs and feet like pillars of fire, which is reminiscent of Revelation 1, chapter 15. And it says, And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. So some people have said, well, because of the similarities, this has got to be Jesus. But Jesus does not return to the earth until his second coming. So that's one reason I don't believe this is Jesus. Because here the angel comes to the earth and puts a foot on the ocean and puts a foot on the land. And he has a small scroll, which is kind of pointing back to the lamb who takes the scroll from the father on the throne. So there's this 
this correlation. You see this imagery being replayed, but this isn't Jesus. This isn't his return. It's another mighty angel, much like it said in chapter 5. In chapter 5, it talks about a mighty angel in verses 2 through 4. And John writes this, and I saw a strong angel or a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So this is when the lamb comes and takes the scroll. But there is an angel, a mighty angel there. And he says here, it's another. And that word in the Greek means another of the same kind. So here is another mighty angel, another strong angel appeared of the same kind that I saw earlier. Now John knows the difference between the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and an angel. And so he's saying, this is an angel. He looks like Jesus. He has the appearance like Jesus. All these characteristics, but it's an angel. So he's described him just very much as we've seen Jesus described. So he comes to the earth between the sixth and seventh trumpet, and he stands on the earth with this little scroll. So who is this angel? Well, they don't tell us. <laughs> that's, the, that's the correct answer. I don't know. Now, here's the speculative. Let's you know, dig into the archives of, of Bible and figure it all out and all that kind of stuff. Many believe that it's Michael, the archangel. He's, he is a mighty angel, uh, and his very name uh, describes who he is. So Michael's very name means who is like God. So his name is I am a reflection of the Almighty. When Michael shows up, he comes with the authority and the presence and the power of the Lord to declare things of God. So when people would see Michael, they would say, it is the Lord. And he's, well, I'm an angel of the Lord. And so he would give God's decree. So it could be Michael. That's probably the best guess because of how he would reflect the glory of God. So here is one that comes down reflecting the Son of God, reflecting the Lamb, and he's got a scroll. And so we read in verses 2 and 3, <coughs> excuse me, he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And so it's a pretty awesome scene. He comes down and he calls out and there's this roar from him. And then as he does this, we hear these thunders, this thunder sounds at the same time. So he puts his foot on the sea and he puts his foot on the land. So what we are seeing here is that this angel, much like other angels, if you study through Revelation like we've been doing, you've noticed that angels play a big role in the end. They have a lot of jobs. They have a lot of duties that are given to them to, to fulfill. This angel at this point comes down, and he has been given authority over the land and sea. His job is about to begin. He is about to do what he has been commanded to come do. He's bringing this scroll. He stands on the earth, and so there's this symbolic authority being shown. He's the one who comes down, who looks like the, the Lamb of God, and he's standing on the earth, and he has authority over the land, he has authority over the sea, and he's calling out. So as he calls out with this roar like a lion, it says the seven thunders sounded. Now the seven thunders is very similar to the voice of God as David writes in the Psalms. So Psalm 29 Verses 3 through 9, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Siron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. 
the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. So David writing about God and the voice of God and this the majesty and the power and what it does. And, and in that psalm, he, he gives seven descriptors. But here we hear the seven thunders, and it just, it just calls us to this idea that here, here the angel comes, and God is decreeing what he would have happen. This thundering goes out as the angel stands on the earth. Verse 4, we read this. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Shoot. <laughs> like, you, you know, I, I think of those scenes where God speaks from heaven over Jesus in the Gospels. This is my son. You know, like, we get to hear what the voice says, and we're like, oh. God giving testimony. Oh, God saying something, declaring something to us. Like revelation from heaven, the voice of God coming to us. Here, the seven thunders roar and they declare something. And John's like, I got to write that down. And God says, seal that up. Don't tell anybody. Like, <laughs> I think John now has the experience of, of the prophets when they're told, don't tell anybody. Like Daniel, don't tell anybody what I just showed you. It's like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I'm going to go back, and they're going to be like, tell us about this revelation. He's like, I wrote it all down, but I can't tell you about this. It's like, you have a hard time keeping a secret? I know I do. It's like, I would want it. Ugh. But God said, don't do it, so he doesn't do it. So we don't know what the voice of the Lord says here. It thunders, and he's told not to write it down, to seal it up. It's interesting that John is given this scene, and he gets to hear what is said, and then God says, don't, don't write it down. I mean, well, then why did, why did you give us a scene, right? Like, why did we write this down? Like, ah, like you could have just left out the thunder parts. Big angel, roaring lion, got the scroll. Okay, they're like, we'll just leave out the thunder. No, the thunders are there. Well, so why? Well, there's mystery. Two reasons I was thinking of anyway. There's mystery in the prophetic sense, things that we are not to know. There's just things that we are not to know, and that's okay. As we think about life and what's going on and what God is doing, like there's times where I'm like, God, I read this and I don't understand it. I don't know. And, and as a pastor, I just, I love shepherding people, but you guys come up with some of the craziest and hardest questions, and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, you just... You know, there's mysteries in here that we aren't going to answer. But that's okay. God has given us all that we need. And here, there's a mystery in the prophecy that is given, in this prophetic prophecy. And we just, we, we don't know what is being said. And that's okay. We have to be comfortable with God being God. And in that sense, let me say, say this, as we, uh, as we believe the Spirit moves and works today and continues in the gifts, um, there are times with dreams and visions and, and things that God gives us that we don't understand it. And we just pray into it. There's times where you're just like, I, I believe that was of God and I just don't know. I'm just going to pray into it. I don't understand it. I don't have insight into that dream. I don't have insight into that uh, word that he's given to me. I don't know why he's showing me this passage of scripture. It doesn't seem to make sense, but I know God wants me to know it, and I just can't stop thinking about it, but it's okay. It's a mystery. It's, there are times when God is working and doing something, but we don't have to know the beginning from the end. He is good, and in the right time, what the voices say will be revealed. In the right time, what is shown, what is given through the gifts will be revealed. It also means, second thing, it also means that our exposition of the prophetic 
Well, we need to be humble with it. So that's why I said, okay, the speculative, when we get to Michael, we just got to be humble. Like, if we don't know, just say you don't know. (laughs) It's a mystery. God's word didn't spell all of that out. In these areas, he does. He tells us everything we need for life and godliness and how to live and how to walk in holiness in this area of life. And then someone says, well, what about this? And you're like, I don't know. And that's okay. As we seek him, as we seek into some of these prophetic things that that God shows us in the Bible, we just need to be humble. We don't have to have an answer for every single thing. And isn't that how we're wired? Isn't that how we are as man? Like, I gotta have an answer for every little thing. Like, I gotta have every little thing put in its right place. I gotta have the right scheme and the right, you know. I see some of you guys looking at each other like, that's you, that's you, you know. We're all that way. Like, I just wanna know, I wanna have it all spelled out. It's nice when it is. But as we think about the prophetic, as we think about revelation, like we have to be humble with this. We have to just say, as best we can understand, as best as the Spirit shows, as Scripture is interpreting Scripture, that's important. As God has revealed it in other places and spoke about it in other places, this is what we kind of understand. This is, what we can, this is what we can cling to. This is what we know for sure. This we, we really just have no idea about. So we have to be humble. So God works in the body, and we handle the mysteries today with humility and care. So just thinking about how God works today in the body, and sometimes as he works through us, as we encourage one another, we just do this with humility and care. And so we submit everything to the scripture. We submit it all, and then we bathe it all in prayer, and we ask God in the right time, would you just show us? Would you grow us? Would you help us? So John is given this vision. He hears the seven thunders. He doesn't tell us what it's about. And so we just say, amen, amen, let it be so. Whatever is said, it is good, it is right, it is, it is righteous, it is exactly what God wants. So amen, 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 and I don't have to know. Verses five through seven. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So here we see in this section the angel and with the scroll and, and what is going to happen. And so the angel raises his hand and he makes an oath, a solemn oath to God who sits on the throne that what is to come will no longer be delayed. So the end is coming very quickly. So we have the interlude, like I said, but how long the interlude really is, I I can't tell you. I can't tell you that there's a time period in these chapters that is definitely months or a year or what. No, we know we're in the last three and a half years here, and the angel now is coming, and he says, the end is coming quickly. There will be no more delay. So that means we're running rapidly to the end, running rapidly to the end. So... He says the mystery will be fulfilled. Well, the mystery would be finished in the days of the seventh trumpet, which is going to lead us into the bold judgments as well. So those are going to come very quickly because the angel says no more delay. When he sounds his trumpet, we're going to be going into the last of judgments as well. So what is this mystery? What is the mystery to be fulfilled? Uh, as we think about this and we look at Scripture, it looks like the fullness of the gospel being proclaimed and the fullness of Israel coming in. So Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us, as is Paul writing, that God may open a door for the word, that's the gospel, for, for the good news that Christ saves those who will come to declare the mystery of Christ. So that's, that's the gospel, the mystery that God is saving sinners, that 
whoever will come and repent, they can have new life, that this mystery will be fulfilled in the end here. We're running to the end where, where the, the fullness of this time, the, the preaching of the gospel and the fullness of Israel will be done. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 we read this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In the end, the fullness is preached and all things will be united back in Jesus. Like it's, He already has all authority in heaven and on earth, but in the end, at the end of the judgments, it will be done. The mystery will be done. Christ will return and all will be gathered under him and his earthly reign. So the gospel that would redeem and the infilling of Israel will quickly come to an end. And we see the Israel infilling in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. Uh, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So as we're looking at this, the fullness of the Gentiles is the preaching of the gospel that's happening right now in the church age. And God says, come up here to the bride and she is raptured and then their hearts are made soft to Jesus as their Messiah and now they are coming in. So the tribulation, really, if we think about it, is not for the bride, but it's for Israel. They are getting woke up and they are having their hearts softened and they are coming in. And at the end of this, the angel says, no more delay. The, the gospel is going to be finished being preached. Israel is going to come in. The sun will return. All things will come together, and it will be done. The mystery fulfilled. So the angel is proclaiming the mystery can be fulfilled. It can also mean that the final unfolding of the age, that tribulation that is happening uh, before the return and before the millennial reign will also be fulfilled. So he's saying it could just mean just the judgments as well. So as we look at it, the angel makes an oath that this is all coming quickly to an end. Well, verses 8 through 11, we read this. Well, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. I will make your stomach bitter. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And so here John is told, go and take the scroll from this mighty angel. And I, I love this scene because it plays out differently in my mind than it does right here as we read it. In my mind, he's watching this. He's like, that's a, that's a mighty angel. Like, ooh, and the thunders. And like, he's looking at this angel and he's just like, whoa, like what's coming next? And then God says, go take the scroll from him. And I, I can kind of see John. He's like, all right, I'm going to go. And he's like, hey, man, give me the scroll. <laughs> you know, like, you know, comes up to this mighty angel, you know, he's like, give me the scroll, like, Lamb has told me to take the scroll, I've heard the voice from heaven, you know, he's probably more like, can I have the scroll, please, you know, <laughs> but then the angel looks at him, and I kind of look, I, I see it in this way, it's kind of like the big brother, little brother thing, it's like, hey, can I have that, and he's like, eat it, <laughs> all right, I love it, it's great, you know. Like, I just kind of see that scene, and it's like, oh, I don't know. But, yeah, here he comes to this mighty angel. He asks him for the scroll, and the angel says, you are to eat the scroll. Now, this is similar to what happens uh, to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we read this. And he said to me, son of man, so this is God speaking to Ezekiel, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. And go, speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, 
Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So the prophet Ezekiel was given a scroll to eat, and it was the judgments that were to be preached, to be spoken. So he, he's, he's taking the word spiritually in. He's ingesting it. He's eating the word of God that he wants spoken over his people. And so for John and Ezekiel, it seems to suggest that the feeding on God's word was to be part of their message spoken to others because we just read that he is going to, again, prophesy. So he, like Ezekiel, is to speak the mysteries of God when he comes back from this moment of being in heaven and caught up and and writing this. He's to speak the mysteries of God, and he's eaten this little book, this little scroll. So what's on that scroll he's going to be proclaiming. This brought me to this segue. What do you feed upon? What do you eat? I mean, here we're seeing John feeding on the word of God. So what fills your belly? What fills your spiritual belly? See, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he said in John 6, 51, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Are you feasting on Jesus? I mean, are you, are you spending time in the Gospels and just being in love with your Savior and seeing who he is and the fullness of his ministry and all that he does and how he saves and reconciles? Are you feeding on the bread of life? Are you feeding on the word? Peter tells us to long for the pure milk of the word so that we may grow in respect to salvation. So Peter says, grow up in the word, like feed on the word, be in the word of God that you may know what God says to you and what he has for you to do and how you are to be living and being transformed. Like as you grow in the fullness of your salvation, you see the sanctification and the change that God brings in us, and it's not like a hard work, it's, it's his work, and it's what he's doing, and it's what he's making us become, and we would reflect Christ, and, and so we're, we're reading this, and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that's what we're praying, God, I want to walk in a manner worthy, I want to eat the word, I want to live as you say we should live, because that is where life is. Hebrews tells us to grow in the knowledge of God and move from milk to meat. So as we eat on the word, we, we should be eating and growing and understanding, like at times going deep, like having those small group Bible studies or those, you know, few guys or a few ladies getting together and you're like, well, let's just read through a book and let's really talk about it and let's dissect it and let's get out the, the study guides and the concordances and let's get out the language books and let's look at all of it and what does it say and, and just going deep, like that deep dive. Can I just tell you guys for a second, like as a pastor, when I give a sermon and someone says, Pastor, that was just really too deep. Like, oh, it breaks my heart because you're saying, I want the word, but I really just want milk. I just want what's easy. Just give me the surface stuff. Give me three points to a better marriage and four points to be a good parent. And give me the easy way to make my life at work, you know, worship. And give me the, you know, it's like, just spell that out. Give that to me so I can go. I just want the milk. No, Hebrew says, go from milk to meat. Like, be totally transformed. And there should be times where you're saying, Pastor, that was good, but you didn't really just go deep enough, man. Like, I, I need a little more. You know, like, that's, I, I want to hear that more than the other. No accusations. I'm sorry. Jeremiah says that, that God will give you shepherds to his people who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. That's my job. I'm supposed to be feeding on the word. I'm supposed to be going deep. I'm supposed to be ingesting this so that, like John, I can speak it to you. And Hebrews says that we mature, now that's we as the body, we mature and tell and teach others so that they too may taste and see that Christ is good. So all of this is to build you up so that you may tell others about the glory of Jesus. Taste and see, Christ is good. Here is how good he is. Let me tell you of these things. 
verse 11, John is told to go and prophesy. It says this, and, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You must prophesy again. It's what the angel tells him. So whatever the content of that scroll, John is to share it with all people. Not just a select group, but all people. The gospel is for all people. What we ingest, the, the truths that we take in as God changes us as disciples of Jesus Christ, that truth is to transform us, but then that truth is to be given to all people. We are to share the truth of the gospel with all people. It doesn't matter what tribe, nation, or tongue they have. That's what he says here to John. He says, you will prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You are to share this, and it is to go to all on this earth. So no matter the content, again, of this book, not just Revelation, but the, the Bible, the content of Scripture, we are to share it with all people. I have time for this, so. I had a good friend in the church, had a dream not too long ago, probably about a week or so ago. They shared that with me, and they asked me to pray over it and pray into it, and I did just that. They shared many things, but there was part of it that I felt, yeah, this is really for us, and it actually makes sense for today. Um, so in this dream, they were at a banquet, and it was beautifully set and had silverware and the plates and the whole deal, and there's many people gathered there. And as they were waiting for the main course, the dessert trays came out. And they're like, well, I don't want dessert. I want the main course. Like, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait. And then the dessert trays came out again. And the people were just feasting on desserts. And then their dream shifted and everyone was sick. And they were bent over and they were in pain and agony. And, and they were trying to minister to these that were there. And one person was just saying what a wretched whore they were, how bad they were. But they had marked on them this tattoo of Jesus. And so they were ministering and saying the truth of God's word to this one who, who was marked by, by the Lord. And then as they were sharing, another person came up to help who was not sick but they weren't clothed. They were naked. And then they said, if you are going to help, you need to be covered. And they handed a towel and they wrapped the towel around them like a servant and, and helped. As I prayed into that dream, like, God, what, what does this mean? There's so much that could come out of this that is so good for us to hear. What, what is it that you would have us hear? The... The beautiful banquet, I believe, is the world. It looks like the banquet of Matthew 22. The king says, I have set a banquet and I have called many to it. It looks beautiful and it has everything there. It's shiny, the silverware is great and all that. But at this banquet is not the meal that you need. The things of the world are not going to satisfy. They do not fill. And they come and they come and they come. And sadly, Christian and those who are without Christ alike feed on the things of the world. They are marked by Christ, Romans 5, 6 through 10, 1 Peter 2, 9. I can give you references later if you want to ask me about these. They're marked by Christ. They are his. That's, I, I believe that's what that was meaning, that the person was marked, but they're indulging the flesh. They're living like the world. They're eating desserts. And they're becoming sick. They indulge the flesh, Romans 16, 18, James 1, 4, 2 Peter 2, 18 through 19, 1 John 2, 16. All talk about us indulging the flesh and how we should not indulge the flesh, how we should be walking in the spirit and how we should be putting off sin. Those who indulge the flesh fall into folly. They fall into trouble. 
They become sick with sin, and they are overcome. Ephesians 2, 3 talks about us having once been overcome by sin. James 1, 14, Isaiah 56, 11, and 12. Overcome. And the, the speaking of the one person saying, what a wretched whore they are, that's idolatry. In the scriptures, when, when Israel would sin or God's people run into idolatry about the things of the world, he, he says, it is adultery against me. And so this person being bent over after indulging the flesh and taking all this in is just, just spewing out what a horrible adulterer they are to the Lord God and the other ones there ministering to them to repent, to be made new, to walk in the newness of Christ. You, you don't live this way. You don't have to live this way. But what about this other person in the dream that shows up who was naked? Well, here is one who is not indulged in the world. He, he didn't eat the stuff, but yet he's not equipped to help. He's spiritually not dressed. He's not clothed as he should be in Christ. He is not serving as he should be in Christ. He's kept himself free from the world and free from stain, but yet he is not doing as the master has commanded him to do. Galatians 3, 26 through 21, Acts 20, verses 19 and 20. So we minister to others by the word, Acts 20, 19 and 20, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. We minister to one another by the word of God, and we give that. And then we are to be clothed in Christ if we are to serve like Christ. We are to be clothed in him, found in him. I could even have gone over to Ephesians and talked about the spiritual armor being equipped completely by even putting on the armor. In the end, Matthew 22 was shared with me that that was part of this, the Spirit was saying to them. And I was reading the correlation and praying into it. And Matthew 22 is the banquet. And in that passage, the master says, I have prepared a banquet, but those whom I call, that would be Israel, they're not coming. So now you go into the highways and byways, into the hedges. You go and you tell people that there's a banquet ready and you fill up my hall. Church, that's us. We are to go and we are to fill up the real banqueting hall, the real table where real spiritual Bread and meat is found in Christ. We are to go and share Christ with people that they would come, that they would come and receive. So that's what John is supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to walk in the fullness and share so John sees this angel and he's given a scroll and he's told, you must share this, just as he's sharing revelation with us. So what do we do? We, we go and we tell people, the gospel is sweet. It's sweet as honey. Coming back to our passage, the gospel is sweet in the mouth. When you've received it, when you, oh, taste and see that Christ is good, man. He is sweet. When you think about the salvation you have and the sins that you have been forgiven, it is sweet, but it is also bitter for those who would reject it. It's bitter knowing that you will proclaim a gospel that people will say no to. It's, it's hard. And in all of it, we are to be the aroma of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 17, it says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrant from death to death. To another, a fragrant from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So we go and we speak. When I was young, <laughs> younger. Um, I worked at uh, Kenny Rogers Roasters. It was one of my first jobs. And uh, we did a gift swap at Christmas. And one of the guys gave me cologne. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't great cologne or whatever, but I thought, that's not bad. So I, 
I'll try it. Whatever. You know, I don't want, you don't want to be offensive or whatever. It's like, you got a gift. They thought of you. They, you know. So the guy gave me some cologne, and I tried it. It was called Pure Country. <laughs> My brother made a comment about it that I can't repeat. But, man, it illustrates this point. I put that cologne on, and you knew Rob was around. Because I was young. I, I, I did, you know, cologne like kids do Axe spray today. Like, you know, it's just crazy. And uh, for some, it was like, eh, it's not that bad. A little strong, but it's not bad. To others, it was like, oh, my gosh, what is that smell? In the end. You and I, we're the aroma of Christ, so we just go and we stink it up for Jesus, for good or for bad. <laughs> That's what we are to do. Will you stand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This passage is, is amazing, and there's a lot of mystery in it, and there's a lot you've called us to do. And I thank you for how you've ministered in the body. I thank you for the word that you've given to, to us uh, just through the dream of, a, of, a, of one in Christ. God, we ask that as we go forward from this place and we think about this chapter, that we would be encouraged to be like John, that we'd be encouraged to go and share the truth of what we have heard in Jesus, that we would share salvation in him, that we would feast on your word. Just as he was feasting on the scroll, we would feast on your word and, and know that it is sweet as honey to the mouth. God, that we would share that, that we would be the aroma of Christ. For some, it is the aroma of life to, to life, and to others, it's the aroma of death. They want nothing to do with it. But regardless of the, res the response, we, your people, want to go and be the aroma. So may we go in boldness. May we be equipped. May we be dressed. May we be feasting on the word and calling people to the true banquet table in Jesus. We ask this in his name, and we worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.